I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10.3 Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In just two months, cannabis will be legal in Canada, and provinces and cities across the country are working feverishly to iron out all the details. That same work is happening in Indigenous communities. We look at what legalization means and what issues could arise for one Montreal-area Mohawk band. It's Thursday, August 16th. Chris Curtis is a reporter with the Montreal Gazette. So, Chris, as provinces and cities across the country uh, make preparations, uh, get regulations going for legalized cannabis, there are still some issues that are being worked out in Indigenous communities, First Nations communities, uh, especially in uh, Quebec. What can you tell us about that? All right, so so probably the first big hurdle we're going to see is how uh, regulation works on the Mohawk territory of Ganawage. That's right across the St. Lawrence River from Montreal on the South Shore. Uh, They are coming up with their own legislation to regulate not only the sale of of cannabis on reserve, but also the cultivation. So Mm -hmm. right now, the way the law is drafted you would have uh, basically a control board, kind of like a liquor board, uh, that oversees uh, the enforcement of standards and practices. Uh, that would be appointed, a three-person board appointed by the, uh, the band council. And uh, that board would basically make sure that everything's on the level from the people growing the, uh, the cannabis to the people selling it. And they set regulations like one of the regulations right now in the draft law that that has that is on the on the books in Ganawage. It hasn't been re- revised yet, but we're we're seeing it uh, we're seeing it sort of go through the system. One of the one of the provisions is that you have to be at least twenty one to buy cannabis, and okay. uh, yeah, yeah, like that could change if if the community decides it's going to change. But uh, you know, th- there are a bunch of little details like that that kind of the main one being the age, and the other one being taxation. Right now, Ganawage does not plan on paying any kind of sales tax to the province or federal government on locally grown and locally sold product. So, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, down the road, there could be some problems with this. Now, you say that the the age there uh, in Ganawage, they're looking at 21 years old. Um, how does that difference differ from Quebec? So in Quebec, the age would be 18, just like it is with cigarettes okay. and alcohol. Uh, 21, uh, the, the chief I spoke to, Chief Gina Deer, basically said their concern is, uh, you know, what cannabis does to an undeveloped brain, you know, like when you're, when you're 19, 20, 21, it's still, you're still sort of becoming who you are, uh, biologically. So the worry there mm-hmm. is that they don't want to say, okay, well, it's okay to buy as much and smoke as much as you want when you're 18, you have to wait till you're 21. They know that people will probably, you know, get their hands on it if they want to. They just don't want to be seen as condoning it. Okay. You were talking about the issue of taxation. Um, the community there doesn't want to give any tax revenue from the sale of uh, locally cultivated and sold marijuana to the province of Quebec or the federal government. Um, I'm assuming that this is an issue uh, where they feel that they don't fall under federal jurisdiction or provincial jurisdiction here. Yeah. So uh, like a lot of territories in Quebec and even in British Columbia, uh, most of the uh, most of the nations in, in, our, in our province 
don't fall under the numbered treaty system. So the Mohawks mm-hmm. will always argue, look, we're a sovereign nation. We've never signed any treaty that says we uh, fall under the jurisdiction of Canada. As far as we're concerned, you're living in our country. So they would basically say, uh, we're not going to pay taxes to you, uh, sales taxes or taxes of any kind uh, for something that has grown and sold on our territory uh, and and in fact, if people from the outside want to come and, and take advantage of that, then they can. It's not our business to tell them what to do. And, and that gives uh, merchants in, in Ganawage uh, a, a sort of a competitive advantage. You see that with the, the, the rise of the uh, indigenous, uh, sort of what, what we, you and I might call the contraband tobacco industry. So, so you know, the fear, I think, is that, that cannabis will just be another contraband tobacco industry. But what you see locally is is that you're you're probably going to see much more uh, band council control over it, whereas there's basically no band council control over tobacco. With there being a already existing contraband tobacco industry, and I imagine uh, the province and the feds would lose out money in that, is there concern at the provincial level related to another contraband industry cropping up, this one being cannabis, and people taking advantage of the ability to go buy uh, cannabis products from from First Nations. So I think the the legalization has happened so fast, and the the process of how to create uh, you know a billion dollar industry from scratch has happened so quickly that this is kind of just a side conversation or like a byproduct of that process that we haven't even really started to think about seriously yet. So. There may be concerns, but they really haven't dominated the conversation because there's so many other things to think about first. We'll be right back. This is Dave Breckenridge, host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian Current Affairs podcast. The name represents Canada's 10 provinces and three territories, and each episode takes a deeper look at one of the biggest stories in the country. Our show is powered by the work of journalists and newsrooms across Canada, so be sure to support your local paper. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and more. So be sure to subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear what you think. You can get me on Twitter, Breckenridge, Y-E-G, or dbreckenridge at postmedia.com. There are First Nations in Quebec that are already selling cannabis, correct? There are people on, on uh, indigenous territories that are already selling cannabis, yes, uh, including in Gunawage, there's a dispensary that is, is running without the author- authorization of, of band council, but it's not within the sort of legally recognized system. In Ganasatage, where, where the, the site of the Oka crisis was, uh, Clifton Nicholas is uh, running a dispensary and uh, he's not doing it with the approval. He never asked for the permission of the band council. Uh, many Mohawk traditionalists on the North Shore Territory do not recognize the authority of the band council. Uh, hmm. And so it's just sort of a, like, you know, if we're really a sovereign people, then yeah, let's just, we'll take the Nike approach. Just do it. We're sovereign. And and yeah. so that's happened there in Ontario, on the Tyendinaga Territory, you have something like 40 dispensaries, none of which operate under the jurisdiction of the uh, of, of the band council. So what you're seeing in Ganawage is really the first attempt 
to sort of have a bit of both worlds, something that's regulated by a government body, but that government body is internal and not external. It's not the province. It's not Canada. They have consulted mm-hmm. with Canada. They've spoken to uh, Bill Blair, who's the MP that's, that's kind of spearheading this. Uh, they've spoken to Bill Blair and they've consulted with Ottawa, but they're going to be doing this on their own. Is there pressure on the bound council to, to deal with this at some point? That's, that's a great question. Uh, the peacekeepers have already raided it once. Uh, the, the, uh, dispensary is back up and running again about two months later. Uh, and now, uh, they know that it's, it's up and running. They have that information. I, I guess, uh, they'll either rate it or they won't. Uh, but I think as far as how things are going to happen in Ganawage, you have one of the best run, most efficient, uh, local band councils. In, in Canada, probably they've they've been recognized by the federal government for their organizational skills. They they often sort of farm their their knowledge of organization group organization out to other First Nations. So I think hmm. if someone can make it work, it would be uh, Ganawage. Now is is it is cannabis see, being seen there as a potential windfall economic development opportunity? Is there any concern about abuse and? Uh, mental health and addictions issues like how do how, how are those two um concerns being played out locally there look I, I think that you have a bunch of different issues kind of uh circumventing each other here sort of intersecting each other here sorry uh they they the idea is look people are going to smoke weed whether we want them to or not uh mm-hmm. and so we we can either sit back and let it be grown here and 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 consumed here locally outside the law we can allow people to leave the territory go to a provincially run store where where they'll pay tax to a foreign government or we can try our best to regulate it here and and make sure that uh you know if they collect taxes on it locally those taxes go towards uh, you know, treatment programs and, and mental health programs. There's obviously a concern that there could be problems with addiction and stuff like that. But again, you're, you're, you're looking at one of the wealthiest and most well-run uh, First Nations in, in Canada. So I think there is enough institutional structure and, and support there that, that no one's really that worried. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's worry, but it's not extreme worry. Yeah. Now, in some of your reporting, you talk to a legal expert about what they're doing in Ganawage. Are there concerns that they're operating within the law or with with proper jurisdiction? Well, the the, the way the law is written right now, uh, the the law is careful to say we're a sovereign people, but even if you don't recognize our sovereignty our right to self-determination and our right to basically regulate this industry on our reserve is guaranteed by Section 35 of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're basically saying, look, we don't, need, we don't need any kind of legal backing here because we're a sovereign people and we always have been. But we, there is a f- legal foundation to our, our right to self-determination. And uh, it's the kind of thing where Yes and no, because, you know, is cannabis a pre-existing treaty right? Uh, you could have legal scholars kind of go at it all day with that. What it comes down to with Quebec is, is do they have, uh, are they willing to pick an unpopular political fight with 
a powerful political enemy in, in the Mohawks of Ganawage who believe that they have uh, a right, according to Section 35 of the Constitution, to regulate this industry on their, on their land. And, uh, you know, and if, and if this does end up in court, uh, it, it's a gamble for both sides. But for Quebec, there's just so much more to lose than there is to gain uh, with, you know, picking a fight with this, again, this, this really well-resourced, really politically savvy opponent. So while there may be money on the table in terms of tax revenue, this may not be a, a hill that Quebec would want to die on. That's exactly right, yeah. When it comes to First Nations communities across the country, there are many who are dry communities. They don't want any alcohol uh, in their community. Um, where does cannabis fit in with that? Are communities able to say, no, we don't want this yeah, in, in I mean, the way the law is written right now, I don't think that a ban council would have the authority to prevent something like that from happening. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, I don't like the communities where alcohol is is that much of a concern. Uh, Quebec doesn't have a huge presence. Like, there's not uh, a local liquor board up there that Quebec owns and operates. So I don't know that they would have the infrastructure. To, to have a retail cannabis shop there anyways. Okay. Uh, so they would just come down to basically the will of the local band council, or if you're in an Inuit village on the northern coast, the will of the local government. And uh, if they don't want it, then, then they won't probably just won't have it. And where does it go from here? Between now, over the next two months, to October 17th, what's the, what are the next steps for, for some of these communities? So the, the big test case here in Gunawage, the way they run things and the way they pass laws is through a process called the community decision-making process. Uh, this, uh, is, is, this harkens back to the way uh, the, the Haudenosaunee Iroquois people have always kind of made decisions by getting all the clans together and, and hashing things out. Okay, what do you like about the law? What do you not like about the law? What are we going to change? What can we, what's going to move here? So if people, for instance, don't want the age to be 21, then they want it down to 18, then that'll be changed. If people don't mm-hmm. like this law at all, and they, they don't want cannabis to be grown and sold on the territory under the, the supervision of, of the band council, then they could vote that down too. But what it looks like right now is that there's enough consensus within the community that this will probably go Without you know, with maybe one or two little hitches, this will probably go off pretty smoothly. And and the chief in charge of this, Gina Deer, has said that she, yeah, she sees October seventeenth as not the most unrealistic date for for them being ready for this new legal economy. It might be a few weeks after, it might be a few months after, but but if it is a few weeks or a few months after, it's because they want to get it right and they want the process to work and they want it to be the kind of partnership where. You know, people who are on the black market are sort of motivated not to not to operate on those fringes and to work with the uh, the band council's uh, sort of cannabis control board on this. So, I mean, it's a really it's like a pretty big experiment when you think about it in sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And it's super interesting. And I guess we'll see uh, in the fall how this how this works. Excellent. Well, you know, it's definitely a fascinating piece of the issue that I'm not sure many Canadians are thinking about. Chris, uh, thanks. Hey, thanks a lot, man. I'm, I'm always interested to talk about the nation within the nation within the nation, you know? Here's what else is happening this week. The B.C. government has declared a provincial state of emergency due to hundreds of wildfires burning across the province. 
Nearly 600 fires are burning, with more than 3,000 firefighters there trying to douse the flames. Smoke from the fires is blowing into Alberta, casting that province in a haze and causing air quality alerts. And the federal government wants to establish a new statutory holiday to acknowledge the painful legacy of residential schools. The government is in consultation with Indigenous groups, with one of the main issues to be worked out being the date. Two options are being looked at, June 21st, which is National Indigenous Peoples Day, or September 30th, which is Orange Shirt Day, created to promote awareness about the residential school system. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama and Carrie Ann Sprawl. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.